All right, let's turn once again to uh, 2 Thessalonians this morning and chapter 5. <clears throat> First, I'm sorry. Getting a little ahead of myself there. All right, one biblical topic. Uh, I'm on the wrong one here. Uh, we're looking at uh, beginning at uh, uh, chapter... Yes, here we go. All right. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, verse uh, 12 this morning. And uh, we've uh, made our way mostly through this book. The Apostle Paul has really highly commended this particular church at ancient Thessalonica uh, more than any other church that we find in the New Testament because of its exhibition of qualities that should mark believers and the churches in which they serve. Namely, he has mentioned their work of faith, their labor of love, and their patience of hope in the Lord Jesus. And they gladly received the gospel message and they began to uh, spread its truth around the greater region in which they live. They became uh, close followers of Paul and the Lord Jesus, so much so that they became examples to others in that area. But as in every church, there's always room for growth in the knowledge of the Lord and the practice of being like the Lord Jesus Christ. No church is perfect, and Paul has informed them that he wants to come to them and perfect that which is lacking in their faith. So he knows there's areas in which they need to grow. He also exhorted them to increase and abound in love, which really will establish them for the Lord's second coming. Now, Paul closes his letter with numerous exhortations to the believers. And uh, he deals with uh, some things like our attitude toward leadership, how we should uh, help fellow members in the faith, how we should be joyful and prayerful and thankful all the time, and how we should respond to God's spirit and word in the assembly. And these admonitions uh, really should cause us to reflect upon ourselves. Uh, he's speaking to us as well. What are our attitudes? What are our actions within the community of believers here? What about our personal walk with the Lord? So these exhortations are uh, great for us in the day in which we live, and we need to be thinking about our uh, attitude toward the uh, people God has put in our place who lead us in spiritual things, to encourage others in the faith, uh, to be conscious of our own walk with the Lord on a daily basis, and to respond to his working in us through his word. So what we discover here in uh, these uh, last few uh, verses of First uh, Thessalonians are very pertinent to our generation today. So let's ask God's blessing as we look in his word this morning. Heavenly Father, once again, we are thankful that you've given us your word. We're thankful, Lord, that you've given us the strength through your spirit to be obedient to the word of God. And Lord, as we look at these various uh, exhortations, Help us, Lord, to emulate them in our own lives. And we just pray, Lord, you'll bless us as we do so. Uh, convict where it's needed. Admonish us, Lord. Encourage us. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. 
All right, the first thing we look at here is in verses 12 and 13, and that's our responsibility to church leadership. And in our church, I guess that's me. Uh, there's uh, other people who have uh, positions where they're an officer or they're teaching Sunday school, things of that nature. But uh, the, the Lord's speaking here mainly of those who have the, the chief uh, role, the chief position in a church. Now, as we look into this, let's understand that Paul begins with a very important issue that relates to every church. If there is not mutual respect between a congregation and their leaders, the church will fail to truly represent Christ in a community. Instead of promoting the gospel successfully, it will ruin its testimony for Christ. And many churches have lost their impact in a community for this very reason. So the apostle begins his admonition in a cordial way by the use of that affectionate term, once again, brethren. That means brothers and sisters showing our family relationship in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he urges them to listen to him. Now, this is not a command, but it's a request. It's the verb is used of making a request to a friend, uh, sometimes carrying the idea of almost begging or pleading with somebody. And his mention of this may indicate that there were some minor problems going on in the church, some areas that need to be uh, mentioned and rectified. And he's approaching this in as gentle a way as he can, showing them their Christian duty in regard to their leaders. Now, what are they to recognize them in this, uh, in this regard concerning uh, the church leaders? Okay, so first of all, we're told here that we are to recognize those who labor among you. And that doesn't just mean uh, come in church Sunday morning and look up and make sure the pastor's in the pulpit uh, and recognize that he's there. Uh, Paul doesn't really, now, now let's back up a little bit and let's think about uh, who these leaders are. Paul does not mention church officers such as elders or deacons. He just is speaking here about those who labor among you. <clears throat> we know that when Paul went to churches, spent some time there, he would appoint elders. These would be leaders. These would be spiritual leaders. They would be men who are teaching the word of God. But when he was at this church, there may not have been enough time to do that. He was only there for a few weeks. And then he sent Timothy back to them to encourage them to find out how things were going. Perhaps Timothy elected some of these people or appointed them. We're not sure. We don't really have the information there. And we don't know how mature these men might have been because, again, we're talking about a relatively short period of time. And we don't know if maybe they were a little bit of the problem that was going on there. But no matter who they were, how they were selected, the brethren were responsible to recognize their position of authority and to be respectful of that. They're working for the spiritual benefit of the congregation. So the brothers and the sisters need to know them in the sense of fully appreciating the work that God has called them to do and uh, how they are uh, to relate to that preaching and teaching of the word of God. 
Now he goes on to say in verse 13 that they are to esteem them very highly. So here we find that they need to think about them, consider them, have regard for them, an attitude uh, toward them uh, that is very high. So they consider the work that these people have been called to do uh, that they're involved in, and they highly regard them because really the Lord's the one who's called them to that place. He mentions that their esteem is to be very high. That means uh, that's using the depth of the respect that should be there. The term literally means abundantly out of all bounds or beyond all measure. So in other words, there's no limit to the regard believers should have to those whom God has called to the ministry and put over them. Obviously, the Lord has a high opinion of them because he's called them and he expects his people to as well. Now, it is true that to a certain extent, a pastor will earn the respect and the esteem of his people, but we don't find that here in this passage. Nothing's mentioned about that. And if a pastor is uh, fulfilling his obligations and shows genuine care for the church, there's really nothing that should cause his people to disrespect his person or his position. And Paul adds here uh, in uh, verse uh, 13 the concept of love, the element in which that esteem is to be given, and of course a mutual regard among God's people. And this, of course, is the greatest Christian virtue. Paul's mentioned it before. We all really know what that means. And so we should extend this to both leaders and laymen within the church community. And obviously, the church operates best when this is evident within it. Now, Paul goes on to say why Christians are to highly regard their leaders. And uh, he says in verse 13, this is for their work's sake, or the type of work that God has called them to. And he mentions uh, three things here. And he he says, first of all, (coughs) uh, respect those or uh, recognize those who labor among you. Now, this is a term often used of physical labor that produces weariness. I'm sure that all of us know what that's about. Uh, In other words, it means to work hard at something. Now, I know the common joke is pastors only work Sunday morning, and uh, if they have a prayer meeting, Wednesday night as well. So uh, uh, that's all he's involved with. But, of course, it's uh, it's true. Uh, They may not be involved so much in the physical-type labor that many of his laymen will be involved in, unless, of course, he's bivocational. However, the preparation of sermons takes a lot of thought and a lot of studying and a lot of time. I remember a long time ago, this will jog my wife's memory, she came home from the school where she was teaching in another church one day, And uh, she mentioned that the pastor, I'm not sure what the circumstance was, whether he had come out and had just said this or maybe they were in a meeting, but he said that he just spent about three hours on his sermon and it was like that was a really long period of time. 
And I'm thinking, well, maybe, maybe he's really good at it. He's, he can read fast and he can think a lot faster than I can. But I, I never spend that little time on a sermon. Uh, so the pastor's main responsibility is to prepare meat for God's people to uh, uh, chew on every Sunday, not just Sunday, but throughout the whole week. And of course, there are other responsibilities that a pastor's involved in in the Lord's work. So because of the labor they're involved in, they are to be esteemed. Now, secondly, the Lord goes on to say that they are over you in the Lord. So they have a position of oversight, a position of authority. Literally, this means they stand over you, suggesting they are in a headship position. They have God-ordained authority over the congregation in which they serve. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, one of the other terms that's used to define this leadership is the term overseer. Uh, because they have a position of authority over the congregation in spiritual matters, again, they should be appreciated and respected. The same thought is brought out in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, which says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls, as those who must give an account. So they have to give an account for how they serve you and how they watch over your souls. And because they have this pastoral responsibility over their congregation, they are to be highly regarded. Thirdly, Paul goes on to say, uh, and this is uh, kind of a two-edged sword, that uh, uh, they admonish you. How many of you like to be admonished? Do you know what that means? And uh, how, how many of you like to be the one who has to do the admonishing from time to time? Well, let's take a look at this. All right, this term means to put people in mind of something, to uh, get them to think seriously about something, namely spiritual truth and our obligation to obey that truth. And it suggests something blameworthy that may need to be addressed. Now, when the pastor preaches, he's supposed to preach all the counsel of God, not just what makes people feel good, not just what he thinks they want to hear. Sometimes he has to point out errors and sin and shortcomings that we find in the word of God. That's part of the spiritual life. And this is done corporately from the pulpit. It may be done individually uh, in the home or wherever, but when it's necessary, it has to be done. And this may involve rebuke. It may involve <clears throat> warning about the consequences of wrong behavior, things of that nature. <clears throat> it also suggests that when you do this, you're making an appeal to somebody's conscience. You're trying to draw them to the right thinking, the right attitude, so the right outcome will be in their life, and reminding them that God has demands upon the believers, and he expects to be obeyed. Now, that's not the easiest thing for most pastors to do. It's certainly not easy for me. And they have to rely upon the Lord to give other people the spiritual um, information they need, but they have to rely on the Lord to help them to do that in the proper way 
uh, as they are involved in this admonition of God's people. So because of this duty as well, uh, we receive the admonition as they are giving the admonition. Now he closes off this section with a, an important phrase, be at peace among yourselves. So that's a mutual admonition. <clears throat> be at peace among yourselves. One thing that can hinder a pastor's ministry and a church as well is a lack of peace among its membership. Uh, but this exhortation includes the leadership. He says, be at peace among yourselves. So that's really everybody, uh, lay people and leaders. And, and uh, this is what will help the church uh, move properly and be a good testimony in the community. If there's one thing that can tear up a church and ruin its testimony or cause a church split, it's this failure to promote peaceful relationships in the body of Christ. And oftentimes the tendency is when a problem comes up with some kind of difficulty that we don't deal with it spiritually and biblically and directly. We try to go around all kinds of different ways. Maybe uh, somebody causes some kind of a, a perceived offense because a lot of offenses are just perceived. They're not real. And instead of dealing with that, we avoid it by ignoring that person. And maybe we think it's so serious, we just need to leave the church. And that goes on a lot more than uh, we may realize in other churches. Instead of taking admonition the way we ought to, we get angry, we get upset. And sometimes we get so upset, we begin a faction or we just decide, all right, I'm going someplace else. And we church hop all over the place. Uh, we can do this in the, the assembly. We can have this group here wants this and that group wants that. And that can cause friction. That can cause tension. <clears throat> and we all have heard that, well, some churches split over uh, the color of the carpet. That really has happened. And even uh, other silly type things that should never happen. So the list could go on and go on. Uh, go on. And, and the Lord wants us to be in peace with each other. And the church can't function properly and serve lovingly if there's not peace within the assembly uh, between God's people and between the leadership and the laity. Years ago, I had a pastor friend that went through two difficult pastorates because people were so picky, they were so critical, they were unkind, they didn't know how to deal with problems, and he became so discouraged that he just left the ministry. And a lack of peace and tranquility can ruin a man, and it can ruin a ministry. Now, I've been your pastor here for over 20 years, so I guess we're doing all right. That's kind of unusual. But when you have peace in the congregation to a large extent and a good relationship between pastor and his people, then you can get things done for the Lord and you can have a long time of a ministry. Uh, we may have from time to time some small scuffles, but overall I think we have a mutual respect here and a love for each other that's commendable and that our church has a peaceable atmosphere and it's our job to keep it so. And when little things might come up, we deal with them the way the Bible says we should and we maintain that type of relationship. 
Now, let's go on to another area of responsibility in verses 14 and 15. And this is our responsibility in regard to the membership. And we have to look at this. When we come to this, we have a responsibility to other members in this local assembly. And as we review the things that Paul deals with here, let's apply it to ourselves personally. Am I like this sometimes and I need some help? Or is there somebody I know that may be like this and I can be some help to them? That's what's going on here. And Paul is now not just urging them or asking them, he is exhorting them. That's a stronger term, that's closer to the idea of a command, and it's actually a a prelude to three commands that he gives here, and we need to listen to these things, because the purpose is for us to be helping each other in spiritual ways, mental, emotional, physical ways as well. So first of all, what does he exhort in verse 14? And again, note, brethren, brothers, sisters, I'm exhorting you in these serious matters. First of all, warn those who are unruly. Here's that word admonish again. It's translated a little bit differently. To warn them, to admonish them. So this, again, suggests perhaps an area of blame. Something's come up that needs to be dealt with. And uh, they're to be admonished, maybe about some sinful action or some laxity. And this should be done in a gentle rather than harsh way. You can ruin a situation by going in there like a bull in a china shop. You can make things ten times worse with your attitude in dealing with these types of things. In Romans 15, 14, it's interesting that Paul addresses that church and he tells them that they all had the capacity to do this, not just the leadership. He wrote there, Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and also able to admonish one another. So we can do that to each other in a kind way uh, as Situation might arise, and we need to. Now, that can be down on the family level and the greater family level, but also in the church level. So, who are the ones to be admonished in this specific situation? Those who are unruly. Uh, this word means to be idle or to be disorderly. It was a a uh, term used militarily about a soldier who was kind of walking out of step with everybody else who's in rank, or perhaps a combat unit that was disorganized. And here it alludes to some kind of disorderly contact uh, conduct among members of the Thessalonian church. Paul doesn't say exactly what it was. It's just kind of a general term. <clears throat> but it likely refers to people who had become idle because of their belief in Christ's imminent return. We touched on this before. Um, One commentator put it this way about these members, who without any intention of actual wrongdoing, so they're not, they didn't start out purposely trying to do something wrong, but they were neglecting their daily duties 
and falling into idle and careless habits because of their expectation of the immediate parousia of the Lord. The idea is, well, the Lord may come today, so I'm not going to go to work. I'm just going to wait for him to come. And then tomorrow you do the same thing. And tomorrow you do the same thing. Pretty soon you get fired. And then you have to depend on other church members to take care of you. So you're, you're idle, you're loafing when God wants you to be working until he comes. And uh, that's not a good situation to be in. Uh, if you flip over to 2 Thessalonians in chapter uh, 3, he deals with this again. He says in verse 11... For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, same word, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. So God wants them to get to work. Not worry about the Lord coming. He could come today, but that doesn't mean you take off work and wait for him. Now, let's bring this up, though, to a modern-day admonition. I really don't think anybody in our congregation is a loafer in that sense. Uh, We all seem to have a good work ethic. But what about when it comes to being spiritually idle or loafing or goofing off spiritually? Are we ignoring our spiritual responsibility? Are we in the Lord's word every day? Are we praying regularly? Are we conscientious about our church attendance? Are we serving the Lord in some way? So we can be idle in these type of things, and that's a detriment to the church, and that's an area where we need to be admonished as well. So let's not be idle in those ways. Now, the next thing has to do with the faint-hearted in verse 14. <clears throat> Comfort the faint-hearted. Now, the KJV renders that feeble-minded. So uh, what do we think of when we think somebody's feeble-minded? We think, well, they have some kind of a intellectual disability. Well, that's not what this word means. It means uh, to be faint of heart, literally small-souled. So it means to be easily discouraged. Some Christians have more of a tendency to be that way than others. They're easily distressed over the trials of life. They, they're overwhelmed when calamity strikes. They're in a dither about smaller issues. And they tend to worry about the problems that a day may bring forth and, and not just give these things to the Lord. So at times, all of us probably face some kind of emotional, mental, spiritual discouragement. I think we'd be lying if we said that we didn't. So there are times we, we, we may be the one who needs the comfort, and there may be times that we are the one who is to give the comfort. So how then do we help this person? We offer them this Christian encouragement. The idea of comfort is encouraging them in the way that they need. So what do we do? Uh, They don't need to be rebuked. They don't need to be admonished. They need some TLC. So here again is that word that suggests something of the nature of coming alongside of a person for the purpose of helping them. That's the meaning of one of the words we use to describe the Holy Spirit, the comforter. He comes alongside and he helps us in a time of need. So what can we do? Well, 
We can share with them an appropriate passage of Scripture, uh, some promise of God, something that pertains to their situation. And to do that, we've got to know enough of the Scripture to be able to make that kind of an application. We can, we can hear them out. We can pray with them. Uh, if there's something else that we can do, physically speaking, well, we're willing to do it. And again, we also need not to be averse to seeking help when we're discouraged because I think we're very reticent to do that. We're supposed to be able to handle this kind of thing and uh, take it to the Lord and, and that's all we need to do, but sometimes we can really use the comfort of another person another Christian, and we shouldn't be afraid to call upon them to, to pray with us or just to, to hear us out and uh, give us some encouragement. But, you know, we're tough, we're rough and ready, we're the, the individual who doesn't need any help, and sometimes that's not a right attitude either. So I think we can go both ways with that. The third thing that Paul mentions here are the weak in that same verse whom we are to uphold. So who are the weak? <clears throat> well, it's not talking about physical weakness, obviously. Uh, it may allude to new converts who have little knowledge of spiritual truth and they need to grow. It may refer to those who have maybe some undue scruples as they are weaned away from their former lifestyle. It may also refer to those who are weak morally, suggested in Paul's previous admonition uh, to abstain from sexual immorality. Remember those ancient cities were just as bad and perverse as they are today. Pagan worship involved this type of activity. So some may have found it difficult to put aside these things as new converts and they needed to be helped. Now listen to what one commentator suggested about the week because he kind of covers a lot of areas. Some believers are weak through lack of knowledge of the will of God. Some through lack of courage to trust God. Some who are timorous or overscrupulous hesitate to use their liberty in Christ. Some through lack of stability or purpose are easily carried away. Some lack courage to face or will to endure persecution or criticism. Some are unable to control the appetites of the body or the impulses of the mind. So there's a lot of areas where there can be weaknesses in our Christian life. And what are we supposed to do to help people in this type of situation? They're not to be abandoned uh, for their weakness. They're not to be looked down upon because they seem to be struggling in some area. We aren't to be aloof from them and avoid them. Those who are strong need to uh, uphold them. They need to be present so those people can lean on them, at least for a period of time. That's the idea behind upholding here. It means to hold oneself over again. So lean on me, okay? Uh, wasn't that a love song? <laughs> uh, lean on me when you feel this way and that way and the other way. Well, we do this as Christians. And the idea is to prop each other up for support in these times when there may be some issue of weakness. And some Christians just 
need this constant support of others to help them do what they ought to do. And our goal is to help them uh, to grow so they aren't weak anymore. They become strong in the faith. Now, Paul closes that section off with four words, be patient with all. All this really takes a great deal of patience. The Lord is greatly patient with us, isn't he? He puts up with our frailties and our weaknesses, our discouragement, our failures, and our foibles, and he gives us the patience we need to put up with others as we have opportunity to help them. Now, this particular word for patience means to be long-suffering with people, to put up with people when you think they ought to be stronger than they are, when you think they ought to be stand up and be a man or a woman in Christ, and when you uh, think that they're going off the wrong direction and who cares, just let them go. We have to have uh, this patience. Because when, when Christians are faint-hearted, when they're weak, when it, it, sometimes it gets wearing. It's difficult for you. It's a source of irritation or aggravation. So we have to call upon the Lord to help us to be like Christ as he was with his disciples. And uh, to be patient and, and calm and helpful. And the only way we can do that is for the Lord to fill us with his spirit as we uh, admonish and comfort and support those who are in need. So again, we have to ask for the Lord's help in all of these different situations. <clears throat> so as we close this morning, let's again ask ourselves, let's think about these different things. First of all, do we have any spiritual loafers with us today who need to confess an idle attitude about your relationship to the Lord? You've been slipping in some area. So we admonish you to do that today. If you've been slipping in some of these areas, get back to where you need to be. If you need some help, don't be afraid to call on somebody. Do we have anybody today who's discouraged or weak in some area? We don't always know what's going on in your life, in your mind, but maybe you're afraid to, uh, to or you're too proud to call upon a Christian brother or sister to help you with your particular struggle. And then are you willing to be the one to be called upon to sacrifice your time and your effort to help somebody else in their time of need? And finally today, are you calling upon the Lord to give you the patience you need, uh, just generally speaking, as well as working with people in your home, with your spouse, with your children, with your brothers and sisters in Christ, even lost people out there in the world? We need patience. So may God give us the grace and the fullness of his spirit uh, to do what we need to do today in these different areas of life. Heavenly Father, we again are thankful today for the instruction of your word. We're thankful, Lord, for the years that you've given us together as a body of believers. We pray, Lord, you continue to bless us with a peaceful uh, church situation for a good working relationship between uh, pastor and people. And we do pray, Lord, that you will help us as we go through the daily struggles of life to uh, help each other, to pray for each other. Even when we may not know something's going on, to uh, pray for different ones in our community of faith and encourage them in the things of the Lord. And when we're called upon to be helped, 
Help us, Lord, to do that. And when we are going through something that may be particularly difficult for us, not to be afraid to call upon our brothers and sisters to pray for us and encourage us. So, Lord, we pray this morning you'd help us to make application of your word in all these ways we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.